Mickey Grace and Rashida Grant Washington and you're listening to the Sold Out Podcast. The Sold Out Podcast is a one-of-a-kind podcast that empowers people to live on purpose. In its rawest form, this podcast captures history in the making by examining what it means to be sold out, to be all in, to feel and respond to what burdens the soul, and to practice vulnerability. Curated by me, Mickey Grace, and Rashida Graham Washington, Sold Out is rooted in the belief that human value is higher than the effort we expend towards our transformation. We are worth it. We are worth it. You are worth it. We want to follow you. We want you to follow us. But in order for you to do that, you got to know where to find us. And you can find Mickey Grace at Mickey, M-I-K-I, L Grace, Mickey L Grace on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me, Rashida, R-E-E-S-H-E-D-A at Rashida N-G-W and at Live Exclamation on Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find me at Rashida Graham Washington. We hope to find you there. Who owns the story? And to what extent? Well, it seems that the simple answer is that the one who told the story is the owner of it. However, there are in many cases also other people who are a part of the story as well. Do they hold any ownership? To what extent? And now just as the teller took the liberty to tell it, though it certainly at minimum also belongs to other people, Do they now have that same level of ownership and privilege to share? As writers, leaders, and ones who are passionate about community, culture, society, and relationships, we must consider this question. Not doing so belies a sincerity and authenticity in the telling of any narrative that is remote at best a hotbed for exploiting the stories of others and inappropriately co-opting another's narrative, dismantling the richness that emerges when one is empowered to share one's own story. But where does one end and the other begin? And if I have been immersed for an extended period of time in a culture, a story, not originally my own, is it ever acceptable? Do I ever come to a point in time when I'm free to own it, to share it, as any and all participants, even as those who were born into it? And what if my objective is to celebrate the story, the people in it, the culture, the narrative exudes? What if my goal and intent is authentically to share what is beautiful and remarkable about the narrative? Might I become so debilitated by the potential to do harm that I wind up not sharing the story at all? And is the not telling, in this case, as celebratory, as admirable, as honorable, or more than having told it, running the risk of being deemed self-serving, exploitative, or co-optive? A conundrum to be considered indeed one that deserves our grave consideration, attention, and discernment as we do and share lives and stories with others. And while I do not pretend that each case does not come with its own nuances, 
predilections and circumstances that bear weight in the balance of how to approach narrative ownership and dispensation. Having mulled this topic over with a couple of authors and a few more community developers, we are in need of guidelines and they must be brought to bear. You are listening to the Sold Out Podcast, and we are live from Live Cafe and Creative <laughs> Space. Come visit us, 163 South Oak Park Avenue. And I'm so excited to have this conversation about story sharing and storytelling today, uh, really just examining the art and the practice of storytelling and the means by which it, we can use it to like leverage and relinquish our power. So... This topic, Rashida, is very um, relevant to Mm. me, particularly because I have been sitting with the fact that I shared a very vulnerable story about myself and my childhood and my father in our previous episode. It was episode two. Yeah, and I'm just like, ever since I, I said that, I have been like holding in my heart. I cannot believe you said that, right? Oh wow! And okay. I cannot believe that this is gonna be out to people, <laughs> right? Like yes. I've even considered like I'm not gonna post that. Yeah. I won't put that episode on my page, yes. right? I won't put that episode on anything I have mm-hmm. um, because I think I'm struggling with one of the questions that you asked in your reading. Um, who owns the story, yes. right? Yes. Um, and then also being debilitated by the potential to cause harm. Mm-hmm. Like, what if this, what if my daddy hit this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that could happen. Right? Yes. Um, and so a while ago, I interviewed, the, uh, I interviewed a young lady in the spirit of human-centered design. Sure. Um, and I remember talking to her about something she was experiencing with her, with her child's grandmother and how her child's grandmother had, um, had a son who passed away and, um, she felt like for whatever reason she was maybe trying to make up for the loss of her son with her grandchild. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, you know, I get so angry about it. And I asked her, I said, well, have you ever talked to her about it? Have you ever asked her if she's okay? Yeah. And she was like, no. And I said, why not? And she said, I don't want to bring that up. Mm-hmm. And immediately I got this visual in my head of how a story lives deep inside of us. Mm. And when we hear something or we're reminded of something or we're asked a certain question, that question or that experience brings that story up in us. Yes. And it causes pain, yeah. right? Or it causes uh, a struggle or it causes some sort of experience that we have been trying to like not experience again. Mm-hmm. And I think my my reservation is even though my dad has done some messed up stuff to me, mm-hmm. like I don't want to hurt him. You know, I yes. don't want him to have to relive experiences that he may not be so proud about. Sure. Sure. Um, so, yeah. That's it's a tension, right? Mind. Yeah. Um, and it's important to examine the tension and the impact and the fallout of the tension. Um, and you and I have had this conversation in so many different forms over the last year. Um, we've also talked about the other, another aspect of this, which is that 
we can get so bogged down in the wondering and curiosity of whether or not we hold the right to tell a story that we end up not saying anything, right? right? Um, that it could be debilitating, that you can find yourself in a place where you can't write about anything, you can't, especially for people like us who do so much of our lives in community with other people, most of our stories will involve other people. And so when that is your whole life, when you have chosen to do life mostly in community, then what do you get to own enough to share about from your own place or space or perspective? Yeah, that's, that's true. And I also think that's a huge struggle because, like, I have found myself in so many places with so many people and learning and hearing and being. And, and then when I'm by myself... I, I'm like, no, I can't put this idea out to the world because it's not mine. Sure. Right? Sure. I was just there. I don't own it. It's theirs. Um, so I definitely, like, have some struggles with that. Sure. I, I think I, I remember one thing I want to bring up. <laughs> so you said, like... Um, does the listener have the privilege to share your story? Yes. And I think I remember telling you about how a while ago I was doing a workshop and this guy, after I had told a story, pulled me to the side at the end and was like, I really liked your story and I'm going to share it. <laughs> You're welcome. Right, right. And I was like, wait, oh my God, no, right? Yeah. I don't want you to share my story yeah. because... Who's to say you're going to tell it correctly? Yes. Who's to who's to say you're going to put it in the right or the wrong context? Yes. And I think um, that is the same question that I'm asking of this guy. I'm also asking of myself. Absolutely. If we're if we're responsible, right? If we're responsible as writers and speakers right. and preachers, we should be wrestling with this question. Um, three stories just popped into my head. One of them I am struggling with whether or not I can tell. Um, but there was a situation or a circumstance for me um, where someone was writing about the Austin community mm -hmm. and the cafe had not even been open a month at the time. And they wanted me to be sort of the voice from the Austin community in Chicago that endorsed them telling the story. Mm. But this was a white man who had never lived in Austin and was just looking for like a black person from the community to, to give permission to say, I think it's okay that he told the story. <laughs> he had already written the entire story. Mm. And so basically you just need to have me sign off so that every time someone questions your credibility to tell the story, you can say, well, Rashida said I could tell it. <laughs> <laughs> not going to get me. So it's interesting, right? Like you're not even, here I am from the community. You even ask me for the story. You wrote the story. You just want me to say it's okay for you to tell it from outside of mm -hmm. it. Um, and so we can see quickly like the layers and dimensions and dynamics around um the permissibility of storytelling, right? right. Um, last week, I did um, an interview for a local paper with a, an amazing journalist who writes very well and is very eth ethic, 
ethically intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in so being, when I read the draft, there were places where the way he interpreted what I said could have caused some distrust in my community. So I was saying um, that I am licensed as a minister, Mm -hmm. but most people who come to the cafe don't even always know that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do things that are spiritually oriented or faith oriented, and they might leave and say, oh, I feel like I just had church, or it's something about the energy in here. And I just smiled to myself and he, when he wrote about it, he talked about me as being a subversive Christian. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yes and no, right? Like he wasn't making anything up, but right. the, way the way that he was articulating it might have made my community say, so that's what she's been doing to us for three years. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to trick us into being Christian when that is that little nuance could have made all the difference in my narrative and really what I'm saying is that I am unapologetically Christian and because I am I'm willing to create space for everybody to come and I'm not trying to make you be anything Mm -hmm. but those two words together subversive Christian that could scare the boohoo out of somebody (laughs) right and so Rashida subversive (laughs) Christian we ain't going back in that place you know and so I guess I call that up as an example of we don't even we can have all the best intentions right and still share a narrative in a way that can be off-putting or marginalizing to someone yeah um and, and you know what I think about um how I think it was a long time ago, maybe when I first first met you, mm-hmm. and we had a conversation, and you were like, "People come in here all the time and want to get my story," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "No." And years later, right, like as I'm becoming a writer, as I'm uh, as I am a writer, that's and, right, <laughs> right, that's as right. I am a writer, and I'm beginning to speak in different places. Um, I'm coming to realize, right, that our stories is the most valuable thing we Absolutely. have. And I think about, right, like, so, I, uh, you know, I come across just different instances. So, so mm-hmm. I used to work very heavily in a nonprofit space. Mm-hmm. And nonprofit space, you know, they rely on a lot of donations. They rely on grants. Sure. And a lot of this relies on people's stories. Yes. Right? Yes. So, you'll have um, organizations who are snatching up youth or snatching up uh, the homeless mm-hmm. or snatching up the service recipients and saying, let me get you to write a letter about your experience yeah. or let me get you in this session to talk to X, Y, and Z about your story. And it just makes me um, weary, right? Yeah. Because we have people, like, underprivileged people, right? Like, people who are marginalized, people who are suffering. They're not a part of these programs because sure. they rolling in the dough. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and then we take their story. The most valuable thing they have. The most valuable thing they have. And strip them of it. Strip them of it and don't give them anything. Yeah. Don't give them no kind of, don't cut them no kind of check. Yes, yes. And, and then, and then the, 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 sad, the, the more sad thing about that is... 
that these people don't know. They don't know what their story is worth. The They'll give it away story. for free. That's right. Willingly, happily, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You helped me. I owe you my story. Yeah. And it feels so transactional. Yeah. Um, and it cheapens the narrative. Um, I got an I received an envelope in the mail last week that pissed me off. <laughs> It was a hyper-local nonprofit organization that helps to create housing for people who need that service, right? And it was, a, it was a donation letter. They were asking for a donation. On the envelope, so before I even open it, so there is no um, protection of the story. On the envelope, right on the outside, there's a picture of a young black woman um, and, a, and a caption and I'm paraphrasing but it says something now this is a hyper local community organization so that means that the housing that is afforded her is within a 5 to 10 no within a 5 mile radius of the cafe mm-hmm. her picture is on the front of the envelope and it says something like we help people like her name mm-hmm. receive housing this person was homeless and we helped them get a house. And I was like, okay, so this is a person who now lives within a five mile radius of this cafe, which means that she has no anonymity in her community. If that's something she chooses, Mm -hmm. she may or may not want to share that aspect of her life. And now she has no choice because it has been shared Mm -hmm. with every organization and individual in the entire community in hopes of acquisitioning funds on behalf of her narrative. Um, I, and, I, and I'm going to tell you the impact it had on me. I took the envelope. I didn't even open it. I can't tell you what the letter say. I threw the thing in the garbage can because it had such a, a trauma, a triggering yeah. effect for me as a woman of color um, that I couldn't even get past the envelope. So the thing they thought they were going to do was to entice me with that story. Right. And now I can't wait to open the envelope. It had just the opposite effect on me and you know what this is the same thing me and you were talking about how we say like you know companies will get like um people who are in the headspace they've been at the academy they did x y and z Mm -hmm. and they want them to come and talk these are people who got money in the bank that's right that's right (laughs) and they'll pay them the experts right the experts on the thing that i've actually experienced in my life but i think it's because of what you know we said earlier It, it it gets to a point where it's like well we own your story yeah. Because without us, you wouldn't have this story. And that's so the you very, owe it to us. That's that very transactional um, way of being that is such an American acculturation. Mm-hmm. That if I do something with you, for you, to you, or at you, mm-hmm. it's implicit and understood that you now have to do something for me. And, and what you do has to be something I've asked of you. Now, you don't get to decide what you give to me in return Mm -hmm. because I've given something to you. I now tell you how it's going to go. Um, I watch how um, people ask me to come and speak or they ask to come to the cafe and hear me speak all the time. And I'm growing to a place where when you set the terms for me, Mm -hmm. I 
I either intentionally reset the terms in order to invite you into a space where you understand that you're asking something of me so you don't get to set the terms for me, or I say no, because you don't get to set the terms for me. Um, we're with our super producer today, and mm. I, you all heard some mmm, mmm, mmm. You'll hear that every now and again. Yeah. That's when Mickey and I know we're getting it right. Right, because Dan is like, that was good. That was good. Um, and so as, as one who teaches in communications, and this is such a huge aspect of storytelling, I would love to hear you weigh in, Dr. Dan Whitehodge, on this idea of who holds the narrative and who owns the narrative? I think, oh my gosh, this is such a big topic. I mean, it was one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I decided to get out of nonprofit fundraising mm -hmm. because these stories were not being owned by the people, right, that were, um, that where it came from. I mean, it was to the point that I remember when I was with Young Life, the president then, you know, had email or sent a, an email out saying that he was coming to the Bay Area and wanted to um, take some pictures with some gangster looking kids. Wow. <laughs> Mickey doesn't have her mic right now because our super producer has it. And I just need y'all to know if you can see her eyes almost popped out of her head right there. <laughs> And so I remember, you know, and, and, it's, and it's challenging because I knew at the time that it would mean that we would get money as an area because sure. so much stuff is tied to this capitalistic fundraising and whatnot. Yes. Um, and in the end, I decided not to because I was just like, I'm not going to pimp my kids out for yes. that. But there was somebody else more than willing in line. And isn't that the challenge? Isn't that the challenge? That's just it. Um, I have had extensive conversations with Pastor Jay, Jonathan oh, Brooks. Yes, Pastor Jay. Yes, about how even within our own city, we need like a phone tree for this very thing because he'll get the call and, you know, somebody wants to pick his brain mm -hmm. and he'll say no and then he'll feel good about like how he held the line and made sure that his story was honored and valued. I'll get the call. Well, right. I didn't know they called Jonathan before they called me. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get the thing and I'll, I might say yes. And then he calls and he's like, you doing that thing? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I just told them no. And I'm like, okay, I'm pulling out. Right. Then I hang up. Then Amy gets the call, you know. And so we're like, how, how do we mitigate this? Because they, they just go down the phone tree and find the one. They do. Who got caught sleeping. Yes. Because it's, we're all, again. Because it's a tension, right, that on the one hand, I don't want to exploit my community. And on the other hand, I don't want to disenfranchise my community by leaving the money on the table that I know could create transformation. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that because so many of us, and when I mean pe us, people of color, are on the hustle and on the grind, we're told that if you have an opportunity, you need to take it. So I'm with that. Yes. I get that. But at the same time, it could be detrimental to the broader aspect. When I was at Fuller, you know, I like right now, I don't share my story anymore yeah. in evangelical circles. Yep. I point people to my podcast and tell them, you can go listen to episode one. You can get all the information you want from there. Sure. Oh, but how did God come in your life? It's all there. And, you know, whatever you want <laughs> is there. You know, I'm not going to sit here because it's been so often used as see what Dan did. 
yeah. do exactly like what he did. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. I had unique circumstances and unique situations. That's good, Dan. That can't apply universally. Yes. No one. They don't even have a Cal grad anymore. Like when I went to undergrad, I paid eleven dollars for my degree. They don't offer those programs anymore. Sure. So to me to go tell somebody on the south side or the west side, hey, you can go to college and you can pay eleven dollars for your degree. That's a lie. Yeah. I'm setting that person up for failure or disappointment. I remember when I was at Fuller, I told them some story. And I remember, I remember they were like, um, you know, because they were trying to build a library at the time. And they Mm -hmm. were like, can we use that story? And, um, you know, we're just wanting to know, can you share some of the names of the people that were involved in that? And do you have a newspaper clipping? And I was like, let me me just stop y'all there. And the answer is no. Yeah. And I remember that I got four phone calls over the next couple of weeks from different people. Yeah. Until if, you know, like, you know, let's, let's, let's take it to the VP. Okay, send the black guy, you know, <laughs> go talk to him. <laughs> see if the black guy will work. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, all this, but who else? And then I remember seeing when the thing came out, and there were plenty of other people's stories, sure. right? These pookie stories of yeah. my mama was on mm. cracker, you know, mm. but now she's selling drugs okay. for Walgreens and the pharmaceuticals. <laughs> oh, yes, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I'll stop, but yes. I think the story needs to remain with the people, but in this society where everything's a commodity, it's very difficult because your story can be sold to the highest bidder. Yeah. Remember, Cambridge Analytica have 5,000 data points on every American. Yeah. And that was sold to the highest bidder. Yeah, that's good. And I'm thankful for your voice in this as you turn it back over to Mickey because... So much of what gets captured as narrative is determined by the academy, you know, and uh, Dan is a professor at North Park um, and, and, and Dan helps us to sit in the tension of wanting narrative to be captured because so often our story has been left out, right? And at the same time, in our deep desire to have our stories represented, then it goes back to Mickey's point that we're devaluing the story and we're giving it away for little or nothing. And even worse, we're experiencing pain in an effort to share our narrative. Like we're actually being hurt by the process of narrative sharing. Yeah, so I, I, I remember I wrote this poem before and it's very short. It said, I don't need to write, I don't need them to write about me and their history books because I am writing my own. I have at least 20 journals lined up in a shelf in my room. So if there ever comes a time when they ask if I lived, there is more than enough proof to prove that I did. Mm. And I think that um, that's part of what we have to do. You know, Mm -hmm. like if you ever see me, you're going to see me with a journal. Um, And I have been in a relationship with Nicholas for about two years now. And every few months we talk about, okay, if I die, this is where I want my journals to go to. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. If if something happened to me, this is who I want my story to go with. Right. Um, Because you're right in the sense that people will not honor your story mm-hmm. if they if it's not something in it for them so my question is this right how do you ensure that people's story that people are um able to be honored properly mm-hmm. for their story mm-hmm. and i'm asking this question because um I I have a tendency to work in spaces where my job is to literally get people talking. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Right? Or to find people to talk. Yes. And 
that's something I have been struggling with. With like, okay, I can't. I know I can get the people talking, mm-hmm. but it's not fair. Should I get the people talking? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. what do you do in that? Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think you do the kind of work we do in our consulting firms, where we get people who are holding power together, and we push the envelope with them. Mm-hmm. I have one client that was interested in having more diversity on their board. And I told them that they needed to think about people who couldn't afford to participate in their organization and that they were missing out on that perspective. But if they couldn't afford to participate in that organization, that's because there's a socioeconomic issue there Mm -hmm. and they needed to be willing to pay that board member even though none of the other board members get paid what are you willing to sacrifice to make accommodations equitable accommodations for people who have these perspectives that you do not have that you do need that you absolutely (laughs) need to be at the table so if if this is a a mom who needs childcare. Um, then are you willing to make that provision? Are you willing to redistribute your wealth in order to to lean in, to glean in that place where you have a deficit? That's your deficit. This other person has the perspective you need. They shouldn't have to pay for you to fill your gap. Um, so I think we get to be in these spaces and it is our slow and gradual push of that envelope. And I think other people who do the kind of work we do, they should maintain that prophetic responsibility. Yeah. Um, even to the extent that sometimes it means we have to take risks right. and sacrifice. I mean, I've lost clients for things I've said that needed to be said. Yeah. Um, I think you have to hold that dance well. Um, But sometimes you have to be willing, right? Somebody went before us and they made sacrifices and they suffered losses so that we can be in these rooms and we need to be being prophetic um, and activist oriented. And you can do that without kicking over chairs, right? Like you can do that without, though Jesus did flip a table. Just saying, I'm just saying so sometimes. But by and large, We can get things done without having to be belligerent about it. It's seed planting that gets people to think. And in this example that I'm sharing, Mickey, they actually did change their protocol. They actually did make room to bring people to the board and to compensate them for being on that board um, so that they can glean their perspectives because they recognize that those are perspectives that they needed that they didn't have. Especially when you know in your mind you're gonna monetize at some point. <laughs> yes. You're gonna, and you're not even gonna make a little money. Yeah, off, off yeah. of this, you're gonna make a lot of money off of this. Yes, out of someone who has literally rearranged their whole day yep. to give you something that they feel you own. Or they and feel- you talked about how the narrative sometimes lives so deep in us. And that we have to dig through ourselves to That's get work. to the one. Come on. This is a work request. Yes. 
Yes. This is not volunteer opportunity. That's right. This is a work request. And it's an emotional journey. Yeah. Um, it's different than the commute. Yeah. Right? It is. The driving commute. It's an emotional commute. It is. It you is. know. So, as we end this episode of Sold Out on narrative sharing, I just want to say that next time somebody sends you an email asking you to come and share your story, send them back an invoice, okay? <laughs> Send them back an invoice for your time, for your emotional time that it's going to take you. That's right. Because you are worth it. And your story is the most valuable thing you have to offer to this earth. Yeah. As we close, we want to leave you with a culturally relevant resource. This season of Queen Sugar, Nova is struggling with narrative sharing. And yes. if you want an up-close-and-personal deep dive on how that thing can go complicated real quick, take a look at this particular, this most recent season of Queen Sugar and challenge yourself to sit with the story of, ne- of Nova um, and don't rush to a conclusion. Really get with yourself mm-hmm. on the complications of narrative sharing. I think um, Ava DuVernay is challenging us to think about how we share our stories and what is implicit in that for other people. Thank you so much. We are sold out. 